the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Good to be with you. I am Pastor Scott. You can call and join the conversation right now by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You know, a word we keep hearing about, but maybe not thinking about how important this is, is hopelessness. And, you know, there is a lot of that out there. And maybe we don't like to talk about it because we feel like sometimes it's out of control, but that's not what we believe according to the gospel. And we need to focus on the gospel and the truth of what we hold to. I want you to listen to this. This is a, uh, a prisoner who is talking about his prison chaplain. He's so relatable. You know, he, he always, uh, when we come to his service, I go to his morning devotion service every, uh, he has it three times a week. And I go and often he always tell me, look, you know, you all are my brothers. You know, I've been where you've been. So, you know, I can talk to you in ways that I can't talk to other people. So he's always made me comfortable. And I've taken the opportunity on numerous occasions to pull him aside and say, Dr. Roach, I need to talk to you about some things that's going on personally in my life. And he's welcomed me in his office and we prayed and, you know, we shared some tears together about issues. You know, with the power of the gospel, this is a prisoner in Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in Tennessee. The power of the gospel brings hope even to a prisoner. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that this prison chaplain was once a prisoner himself, lost in his own sin, he was suicidal, he was hopeless, and now what he does for a living is he shares the hope of Christ. This is the story of Ed Rocha. Uh, Eduardo Rocha is a corporate chaplain for charter construction in Tennessee and a military chaplain for the Tennessee State Guard, formerly a chaplain still volunteers at Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in Tennessee. Uh, Ed, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you, Pastor Scott. How good it is to be here and uh, be able to share with your audience. I'm very honored and privileged. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. You know, uh, we thought that you have a very interesting story and one, you know, I think that a lot of Christians need to hear because sometimes Christians feel like they can't be used by God because of their past or because of their situation or whatever it is. But your story shows that the gospel changes who we are and it changes, and then God can use us to change other people through the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit. So what I'd really like you to do is is tell us your story, then we'll talk about your chaplaincy and what you're doing now. But tell us your story. You started out as a child, I presume. Yes, that is correct. Well, um, I had a very, uh, if I can say, kind of traumatic uh, mm. childhood uh, my fathers uh, came to live here to the United States when I was less than one year old. So mainly my first years of childhood took place in Queens and uh, the borough in New York City. And but, you know, when I was five years old, my father, uh, you know, he fell in love with a much younger lady mm. and left my mom and I. 
completely by ourselves. My mother, not knowing what to do at that time, we're talking about beginning of the 70s, you know, back in those days, uh, the only one who, who sustained the, the home was my father, my mother not knowing what to do with me. She sent me to live with my grandparents, uh, her parents, uh, back to Uruguay. So being just at a tender age of five years old, from one day to the other, both mom and dad disappeared from my life. Yeah. This, of course, caused uh, a lot of traumatic issues. Mom wasn't going to be there for at least for two years. She reunited with me when I was around seven. I didn't see dad for like about uh, 11 years. Wow. I was going to be see, I was going to be able to see my father again when I was 16 years old. And in the midst of all that, another traumatic experience that I had is that I was sexually abused uh, by an adult when I was eight, when I was eight years old. Mm. So just start adding all those things, mom and dad out of the picture, living in a different country, hearing a very different language than the one I was used to speak, you know. At that point, my first language was English. I mean, I was living, I was a child here in the United States. I had a very, very rough childhood. Yeah, and that with the abuse and other things, you know, I think that there is a, a sense in our culture today that that gives you every reason in the world to uh, just be a victim. You know. Yes, yes. It, 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 I mean, in one sense, it does. Mm -hmm. But but you but you see, it was such a traumatic experience that back in those days, I, I mean, I was so afraid to even share to my mom and at that point, my stepfather, what had happened to me, and I didn't even share that. Not even. I mean, we're talking about an eight years old kid. Yeah. I didn't share it with anybody. I kept that in my heart, yep. and I was abused several times. It was not just one time mm. that this occurred. It happened to be that this guy that abused me, he was an 18-year-old guy that used to babysit me. So, mm. you know, it was someone that my mother trusts, my stepfather trusts. So, and, and he told me that I should never say anything to anybody about what had happened, that that was something very normal. So I had a mumble in my head about my sexual preferences and so many things that due to this abuse happened that finally, well, just by the grace of God, you know, I was able to uh, go on with my life and, and, and get married down the yeah. road after I met the Lord, of course, you know. Well, let's talk about where uh, you went then as a kid. And I'm I'm hearing your story. And, you know, first of all, I'm, I'm just very sorry that that happened to you. Uh, and I know that a lot Thank of people you know. listening uh, have had this, a similar experience. And I know there are people listening who have never shared it to this day. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to acknowledge that for people who are listening, that you've had a similar experience and you've buried it in your heart since you were eight years old or whenever. And uh, so this means something, but I want to give you some hope here. Now, things didn't uh, uh, move on in the right direction right away for you as a kid. So tell us about uh, the next couple of years and uh, what you ended up getting into. So long story short, you know, I grew up uh, with a lot of re rebellion inside, a lot of hatred. But at the same time, I would blame everybody for everything that would happen to me. I would even blame my mom, you know, for mm -hmm. 
for things like, okay, why can I, I cannot uh, use this brand of shoes that somebody else is using or this brand of um, jeans or this brand of clothing? You know, dumb things at that age that, you know, for a teenager is very important. And we're yeah. talking about beginning of the 80s, coming to be 16 years old, having built up all this into my heart, my father happens to come to Uruguay on an extended vacation period from his job here in the United States. At that point, he was living in Brooklyn, New York. And all of a sudden, he extended the possibility to come and spend some time uh, there in Brooklyn with him. So I did. Uh And And how old were you when you went back to Brooklyn? uh, I was uh, almost 17 years old. I was in in that during that time. So I moved from being a regular teenager, rebellious, mad at the world uh, in Uruguay, to being a rebellious, mad at the world teenager here in the United States. But you can imagine with all the possibilities that the United States offers to a teenager, even at the beginning of the 80s. Yeah. And I got to discover also, which I did not know, that my father was a drug addict. Hmm. And that I had a half brother on my father's side. This brother was probably like uh, 20 years older than me, that he was a drug dealer and a drug trafficker. So can you imagine being a 17 year old, being introduced to all this new world of money everywhere, you know, young ladies everywhere, uh, discos, uh, life every night. Drugs every night. I mean, I went bananas, if uh, I can put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it there, or one way to put it anyway. You're listening to the Pastor yeah. Scott Show. My guest is Chaplain Ed Rocha, and he's sharing his story. And as we're hearing his story, uh, and one that's going to uh, bring us to a current day where he was saved and God really changed his life. He's gone through abandonment. He's gone through sexual abuse. He's gone through moving to another country, moving back, and now as a teenager introduced to a world of of drugs and uh, bananas in uh, early 80s New York City. And uh, so what did that do? You're a teenager. You're in New York. You have all of this uh, rebellious opportunity now. What did you do? The first thing that I will always remember that my father told me was, the day that I discover that you did drugs, if you ever do drugs, I'm going to put you on a plane and send you back to your mother in Europe. Do as I say, not as I do. That is correct. I wish up to this day, or I don't know what my life could have been if he would have actually done that. Hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, obviously my brother was the one who first introduced me to marijuana. Mm-hmm. Then from marijuana, I went to pills, from pills to LSD, and from there I moved on directly to cocaine. Okay. So my father, that was a heavy drug user, mainly marijuana and cocaine, we ended up getting high together. Mm. Not only getting high together, but also going to discotheques together, going out with girls together. You know, I will go out with girls normally older than me. You know, he will go out with ladies uh, his age or younger than him. And we were just hanging like good buddies, you know. So there was never a father-son relationship with him. Yeah. You know, we were just buddies of uh, getting high together. And where did this lead you ultimately? 
Well, this actually ultimately led me to get arrested. I got arrested in March. I came here in November of 1984. In March of 1986, I got arrested with possession of drugs. I was on my way to deliver some drugs for my brother. I was uh, actually uh, working as a drug dealer for my brother, just just delivering, you know. And uh, I got stopped by a New York State trooper that stopped me because of different traffic violations and because the car that I was driving was registered under my father. And my father has had an outstanding warrant for his arrest mm. for destruction of justice. At that time, my brother had been arrested also in Florida with a kilogram of cocaine, and they were both in South America on vacation, my brother trying to escape uh, from his case, and I'm kind of in charge of the business, 18 years old. I had just turned 18 years old in January of 1986, and this happened to me on March 14 of 1986. That was the day I got arrested. So you're arrested. You're an adult now. It's a serious offense that you... Uh... And let's talk about that experience. Uh, was this the lowest of the low then in your life? How did you reflect on this going from that kind of life of rebellion to to now you're under arrest and dealing with the consequences? Well, Pastor Scott, all I can tell you is that for almost two years, all I knew, it was this world about drugs, this world about girls, this world about parties. I got to a point where I completely misinterpreted what the life here in the United States was. Mm. I thought that this was what the regular the regular person will do every single day. I had money. I have everything that I wanted. And all of a sudden, after being addicted to these drugs for almost two years, for, as a matter of fact, the day I got arrested, I was driving under the influence. I was high on cocaine and high on marijuana. Mm -hmm. I got arrested. The drug was found on me. I was arraigned, taken to court, taken to the county jail. And all of a sudden, I woke up the next day on a, on a cell, not knowing what had happened, not knowing where I was, until about a week later, a lawyer came to see me. And that lawyer told me, do you understand the kind of problem that you're in? And I said, well, I don't know. All I can tell you is, Whatever my brother has to pay, he's going to pay and he's going to get me out of here. He never did. My mm -hmm. brother turned completely his back on me. My father turned completely his back on me. And I was all of a sudden just by myself facing a minimum of 15 years to a maximum of life imprisonment. An 18-year-old thinking that I was not even going to be eligible to go before the parole board until I will be 33 years old. And at 18, that's that's your whole life, right? It does, it yeah. feels like that, you know, I mean, any age, that's a long time. But at 18, that is a long time. And right. uh, then you felt the hopelessness. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ed Rocha, and he's telling his story. Um, and ultimately, this story leads you to prison, and uh, you are suicidal. Well, yeah, I attempted to commit suicide in the county jail. It was probably... Uh, I would say seven months, eight months into my incarceration. I mean, I was living uh, a complete hell in that county jail. I left high school. I did not understand, neither speak English too much at that point. You know, I was a Hispanic amongst other races. 
in, in, in complete discrimination, you know, charged with a felony. And especially when after going to court, I was going to court uh, almost once every other month or every one month and a half. And the judge and the district attorney was 15 alive, 15 alive, 15 alive. I had, you know, I had a bail at that time of $50,000. Just the fact of knowing that my family had turned their back on me, that I was all by myself, that my mom and all my family in Uruguay thought that I was working, that I was doing a good living, and there I was, rotten in jail. And that took me to the lowest point of my life, where one night of cold September, I just contemplated suicide as the only way out. Yeah. As I was wrapping the sheets around my neck, that's when something that really impacted my life happened. Now, what happened at this point? So you're in prison, you're wrapping the sheets around your neck. You've come to that place of in your despair and acknowledging this. And what happened? Well, you know, I knew how to hang myself because the week before of this event, I had seen somebody hanging himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and they found it in the morning when they opened all the gates of the of the block, you know, and I saw where he was hanging. So yeah, I knew so you exactly, knew exactly where, what to do. Yeah, I knew yeah. exactly what to do. But I heard this voice. I mean, it was like three o'clock in the morning and I heard this audible voice in Spanish telling me, Eduardo, don't do it. There is hope for your life. Eduardo, no lo hagas. Hay esperanza para tu vida. And what did you do? So you you heard this voice. How I mean, it... the first thing I did, I, I just look around, Pastor. I mean, we're talking about this was three in the morning. Yeah. All the lights were out on the block. You know, I looked around. There was nobody there. And I started thinking, I'm going nuts. You know, don't forget, I, I did drugs for almost two years. I was on the withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had all the symptoms of withdrawal. So you could you have know, thought it was the drugs days. talking. You could have made some other thoughts, but uh, you you came to the conclusion that it was something else. It was something else. I mean, it, it, and I just cried out and I said, you know, I had to realize that it was God. Yeah. And I said, God, if this is you, please do something. I'm going crazy over here. I don't know what else to do. And I just dropped on my knees and... You know, I went to religious school, so I knew how to pray. At right. least I knew how to pray the uh, our Father who art in heaven, you know, the, yeah. the Heavenly Father. So I just prayed that prayer, and I said, if this is you, please show me that you are here, that you are with me, and show me how can I have hope. I'm yeah. hopeless completely. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. Ed, i got to take a break, and when we come back, Ed's going to share what the Lord did after that moment in his life. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is is Chaplain Ed Rocha, and if you've been listening, Chaplain Ed Rocha may not have been what you expected to hear at the beginning, but that is where the Lord is going to take him. We'll get to that as soon as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. My guest is Chaplain Ed Rocha, and if you've been listening, his story is maybe not what you would expect. 
as a young child, both his mother and his father effectively abandoned him. He was living in New York. He was sent back to Uruguay, and he was abused sexually and became very rebellious, ultimately came back to New York to live with his father when he was 16 and immediately got into drugs and a whole lot of other things, gets arrested. He is suicidal, and right at the moment where we left off with the story, he was ready to take his own life, and he heard this voice say, uh, don't do it, and there is hope. And so you didn't. You went to your knees, Ed, and you prayed. You said you prayed the Lord's Prayer. And do you feel like things changed at that moment for you? Well, all I can say, Pastor, is that within a few days, an officer, a correctional officer that was a Christian, handled me a Bible. And he invited me to a meeting that they were they were held every Monday at the gym of the county jail. Actually, a volunteer group from his church will come and conduct uh, an evangelical a Christian meeting there at the gym. And that's when October the 6th of 1986 came, just a few days after this uh, almost tragic night on a cold September night. I went to this meeting and the first thing that impacted myself was this huge, huge uh, gentleman, you know, that gave me a hug and told me, I just want you to know that I love you and God loves you. Welcome here. You know, and why do I'm, I'm pinpointing this hug? Because we're talking about seven months into incarceration, eight months. I was in and all that time. I was never shown love by anybody. Mm. The first one that showed care or love was that correctional, that Christian correctional officer, you know, being abandoned by my, by my father, by my brother, all my family. So I didn't, I, I got to a point that I thought that no one cared, that no one gave nothing for me. So I went to that meeting when the invitation, that's the first time that I heard the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, amazing grace. The first thing that I ever heard the gospel being preached, that Jesus could give hope, that Jesus could restore our life, that Jesus could transform our lives. And that's what I needed. I needed my life to be completely transformed. So without not knowing what I was doing, to be quite honest, they invited me to make the sinner's prayer and to invite Jesus into my heart and to be born again. And I mean... I would do anything at that point just to come out of that suffering. And all I can tell you is that I was surrounded by all these people. I did the sinner's prayer. I became at that moment a born-again Christian. And all I can tell you is that after I went back to my cell, everything was different. Even, even you know, the cell was different. My attitude was different. My demeanor was different. My My thoughts were different. Everything. I had this hope in my heart in my life that I don't know for some reason I just thought that whatever the future will hold or will bring I was ready to face it and that's what happened you know just a couple days down the road I went before the judge and the judge asked me a straightforward just tell me a reason why I shouldn't sentence you to a minimum of 15 years in prison and a maximum of life for the crime that you committed. What'd you say? And I just I just gave it a straightforward to him, Pastor Scott. I told him what I had done a few days before, that I had accepted Jesus in my life in some way. And the broken English that I had at that moment, it's not that I speak perfect English right now, but I try my best, you know. <laughs> You're doing <laughs> but just But in fine. the broken English that I had at that moment, I laid it all out. 
I just told I just told the judge what I had done that I had accepted Jesus and he looked at me and told me, Mr. Rocha, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I think you're sincere. I think you mean good. I think you know, I was gonna sentence you to the maximum term that the law allows me. Mm. But instead, I'm gonna sentence you to the minimum. And from one moment to the other, he changed my sentence for a minimum of fifteen years to three years. He still sentenced me to life in prison, but he reduced my sentence in 12 years. That was the first occasion where I saw the mighty hand of God working in my favor. And that was going to be the first of many, many, many times that over this 37 years, I have seen the mighty hand of God working on my favor through his grace and mercy. And you went on with a a genuinely changed life. You became a chaplain. You would go back to uh, prison ministry uh, ultimately for a while as a chaplain. We started the show off with that. And you've had the opportunity to share your story and the hope of Christ now with people who are in the same situation or similar situations as you've been in. And I want everybody to hear that, that when when you hear your background, Ed, I think that a lot of people start to think, well, you know, you're barely going to make it. You know what hope is there. And the hope is in Christ. And you have a you have a favorite verse that I really want people to hear right now in this context. What's your favorite verse? That is correct. Second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation or a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe that when you're hearing that, everybody, that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You know, God can use you regardless of your past and your sins. He can forgive you and he can bless you with a life. Not everybody gets out of prison, depending on why they're in there, but many people even in prison get a better life because God uses them. I've worked with several people like that. My guest is uh, Dr. Ed Rocha, and I just said doctor, so you went on to get a degree, you went on to become a chaplain. Uh, you're married? You have kids? Yes, I've been happily married for the last 33 years with Sandra, my sweetheart. I had three beautiful boys, uh, I, Mike, which is 31 years old, Gabe, 28, and Brian, 24. And I have three precious granddaughters, Chelsea, which is five, Melanie, which is three, their daughters of Mike. And Sophia, which is the daughter of Gabriel. That's a, that is wonderful. Uh, that is a, it's a wonderful testimony that you have of what the Lord has done. What would you like to tell people who might be listening who deep down, they've gone through similar things and maybe they've never shared it, or maybe they're on the wrong path right now, whatever that means in their context. What would you share with them right now? What would you wish you had learned younger? Well, Pastor Scott, all I can tell you is this. I not only became a rebellious child, uh, someone that hated everybody, someone that thought that the world owed me something or that God owed me something. But all I can tell you is that all that despair, all that hatred, all that resentment that I had inside of me when I came to Christ completely disappeared. I was able to forget my father I was able to forgive my brother. I was able to forgive even the perpetrator that sexually abused me. Mm. You know, so many things. And even all that unworthiness that I felt, I felt so unworthy of even being loved by God because I felt at one point in my life so filthy, so, so dirty. 
because of all the things that have happened to me and everything that I have done. Because let me tell you, I was not an angel whatsoever. Right. I hurt a lot of people mm. due to my hatred and due to everything and my rebellious attitude. But all I can say is that God is so gracious, so full of grace, so full of love. Today, I'm a, I'm a fulfilled adult. I feel so loved by God. I don't think that I deserve to be loved. I don't think that I deserve to be called worthy by God. But he calls me worthy. You know, he mm. calls me love. He calls me his child. I'm a son of God. And this is what I want to encourage to every listener. No matter what you have gone through in your life, no matter no matter what, how many hurts you may have, how much people could have hurt you, it doesn't matter how much you have suffered in life. There is hope in Christ. There is hope in God. And no matter how impossible your situation may seem, after I got released from prison, they deported me back. I wasn't even eligible to remain on this country right. legally. There's a whole they lot more to your story. To Europe, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they deported me back. 20 years later, I was granted a pardon by the U.S. Attorney General of this country that allowed me to come back in. Through that, I was able to legally obtain a job as a minister. And, you know, I was a pastor for uh, more than 20 years in Uruguay. Then I became a pastor here in the United States. Then I became a chaplain. I went on to get a bachelor's degree in theology, a master's degree later on, a doctorate degree. I prepared myself to serve God. And all that caused me to be considered by the government to become a legal permanent resident with a criminal record after living here illegally for over five years, especially with all these matters right now with the Ill illegal immigrants and everything, you know, mm -hmm. I did the things the right way. You know, I didn't came through the borders. You know, I just came legally right. with a visa stamped on my passport. I became a legal permanent resident. And last year, I had the privilege to become a U.S. citizen. Do you, I mean, can you believe that God can do more than that, Pastor Scott, it's and a, every listener? You know what? It is an amazing thing, an amazing story. Yeah. And I, you know, I believe, Ed, that God's doing that through you because you've been able to share your story and share the gospel with so many other people in a similar situation. And you're still doing that today. You're a, uh, do you still volunteer at the uh, the prison? Yes. After four years of being a chaplain, an institutional chaplain, a Riverbend Maximum Security Institution, where even I had the opportunity to witness seven executions. Hmm. God told me a lot about compassion, Pastor, Pastor yeah, Scott. I bet I was did. right next to seven offenders that were executed to the very last moment of their lives, you know. And after that period in my life, I, I was already a corporate chaplain. Then I became again a corporate chaplain with this construction company that I'm working now. But for the last 13 years since I came here to the United States, I've been a volunteer with the Davidson County Sheriff's Office, visiting county jails, and with the Tennessee Department of Correction. I was a volunteer for many years, going into prisons to preach the gospel until I became a chaplain myself. And since I left that position... And um, in, uh, in, 20, in 2021, uh, after a military deployment on the COVID-19 mission, um, I still a volunteer and I go there every yeah. month 
and keep on preaching the gospel inside prisons. Well, yes, and I know there's a lot more that we can say, but uh, we're running out of time here. But uh, I want to thank you thank for sharing your story today. And there are so many people listening who are in a similar situation. I encourage you to to listen to his words and to hear what the Lord will do when you give your life to Christ. Not a matter of just saying words, but really giving your life to Christ and how you will become a new creation. Uh, Ed, it's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for what you continue to do in serving so many people uh, in your chaplaincy. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. May God bless you. And I, I truly hope and pray that everything that I have shared will be useful for somebody and that they will open their hearts to the Lord. Thank it's you. definitely worthy. It definitely is. And hey, if you're listening and you want to get a copy of this, you can go to our podcast, go to kkla.com, or look for the Pastor Scott Show podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, you can get Ed's story. Dr. Ed Rocha, Chaplain Rocha, thank you for being with us on the Pastor Scott Show. Thanks again, Pastor. All right. My privilege and honor. All right. God bless. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, final segment of the day, 888-528-2557. You have any response to our interview with uh, Ed Rocha? And uh, he's got quite a story, and I know that many people listening relate in different ways. Uh, you know, he's a chaplain. What's interesting is we didn't get into this part of his profession now, but he's been obviously a prison chaplain, and you've probably heard of that. He's a chaplain for the National Guard out there, and he has done things at other prisons here and there. That's probably not unusual, but he's a he's a chaplain for a construction company. Uh, that's actually his job. He works for a construction company. It's a private, a uh, public company, public construction company. It's not a Christian company necessarily. They, they build stuff, the construction company. It's interesting movement that some companies are hiring chaplains, pastors, effectively speaking, to actually serve as an employee of the company. And that's something that's growing right now to serve the, the employees' families who work there. Do you work for a company that has a chaplain? Love to hear uh, your story, 888-528-2557. If, if you work for a company, you know, like a public company, not a Christian company or, you know, a church or a hospital, you know, police have chaplains and, and you expect that at hospitals or prisons, places like that. But I'm talking about construction companies, tech companies, manufacturing, whatever, but a place where you work where you wouldn't necessarily think that there's a pastor who's got a office and that person's job is to be the company pastor essentially or chaplain that's a, it's an interesting movement and you know a lot of companies have tried different things to help their employees get through life right because that's a big deal that you know people who call in sick often are having sick days not because they're physically ill but because they're having a personal crisis right or they've got uh, family issues. They've got different reasons why people can't show up. And often people do show up to work, but they can't function very well because they got so much personally going on. And, you know, your employees, if you're an employer, your employees are people. They have life. There's stuff outside of the nine to five or whatever your hours are. And I find, I find it really interesting that companies are hiring chaplains, that this is a thing. I didn't really even know about this in, in private companies. 
uh, until recently. Some companies have hired, you know, a masseuse. I have a friend who she used to have a job as a corporate masseuse, and she would basically go office to office and cubicle to cubicle and give people a neck massage. You know, why don't we have one of those people here? That could happen, you know, that would be, um, you know, interesting, I guess. Um, and it was a very popular job, obviously, for people who were working there. She's not doing that anymore, so maybe they gave up. You know, I worked at a place once that had a, a yoga instructor, instructor, I never went, um, workout coach. I didn't go that one either. Probably should have. But here's the deal. An industrial or corporate chaplain is an ordained minister who has been hired by a corporation to provide workplace ministry to its employees. I'm just reading off a uh, website. Many would assume that these chaplains are hired mainly by privately owned Christian-based companies, but they're actually a number of publicly held businesses and non-Christian businesses that have industrial chaplains on the payrolls. Of course, not all of the workplace companies' employees are going to be Christian, and I think that's obvious uh, in your culture today, which means that chaplains do not have to realize, you know, chaplains have to realize that they may not be welcomed by everybody. But industrial chaplains must always be respectful of the beliefs of others and be willing to step away when an employee expressly states that they don't want the chaplain's help. I Do you work at a place that has chaplains? I'd love to hear how this works, 888-528-2557. When I was reading the description of what they do, it's literally somebody who is on board, and there's got to be some kind of accountability for the time that they spend. But they one place, the chaplain goes and visits everybody who works there. And the thing is, is that the chaplains are typically on call 24-7. So I think that if you go to church somewhere, you probably call someone at your church, most likely if you got a crisis in the middle of the night or something going on. But if you don't have that, who do you call? Like if you don't go to church somewhere, if you don't, if you're not really a part of a a body of believers somewhere and you had something happen that's an emergency, do you have someone to call? It is... Uh, an interesting thing to not have that. I've always been in church, so there's always been someone to call, and I've been the person people call. And, you know, often it's great to be in a position where I can really help, and sometimes I can't really help. I had somebody call me one time who, they called me at midnight. She calls me at midnight, and she was taking care of her parents. Her parents were elderly, and they had Alzheimer's and a lot of stuff going on. Well, her dad rolled out of bed, and somehow he hit his head on a coffee table or an end table. And she calls me up at midnight, wakes me up, she goes, Pastor, yes. And I said, uh, what can I do for you? And she says, uh, my dad, he's he's hurt. I said, okay, well, what happened? Well, he fell out of bed and he cut his head open. What should I do? And I said, well, is he bleeding? She said, yeah, he's bleeding. And I said, well, is he bleeding a lot? Oh, yeah, it's all over the place, she says. And I said, well, is it the kind of thing where you think he's going to need stitches and medical care? Yeah. And I said, well, what you need to do is hang up with me and call 911 and uh, give them a call and uh, they'll come and get them and they'll take care of them. And after that's all done, after they take them, you can give me a call back and we can talk about what's going to happen next. But you need to call 911. And uh, the funny thing is, is she she said, the way she said it, she just goes, oh, well, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, thanks for telling me that. Thank you. I'm going to do that right away. She did. She hung up, called 911. They came and got him, and he was okay. They stitched up his head. And then uh, I thought it was funny to me is that uh, it just didn't occur to her that that's what she should do, but it did occur to her to call her pastor. And, um, you know, so this, sometimes that happens. But, you know, who do you call if you don't have that? You should call 911, by the way, if that's something going on. And then who do you call after that? 888-528-2557. 
if you're not in church, if you don't have, you know, somebody who would feel like, you know, they should be with you at a time of crisis or a time of often tragedy, you know, most of the calls in the middle of the night are bad. You know, we always knew in my house that, you know, if the phone's ringing, you know, after eight, it's probably not good, whatever's happening. And, you know, in somebody's life, sometimes it would be and you'd get a surprise, but often it's not good. And that that happens. It happens to each one of us. Who do you go to? So I, I just think that's an interesting thing, the workplace chaplains, that in this time when we're becoming more and more secular as a country, at least what we see on the news, at least what we're seeing in the schools and all these different conversations we're having, we're becoming more and more secular. Something that's really interesting that's happening is with all the hopelessness and negativity in what we keep hearing about our faith, quietly, people are realizing that spiritual care is vital for people. And companies are reaching out to primarily Christian chaplaincy organizations and hiring chaplains to be in the workplace. I find that fascinating. There, there are some that aren't Christian. Okay, You can be sort of a spiritual guru or somebody who's just willing to serve people. And uh, so some of those people, it's harder because the, the chaplaincy, the way it works is you're, you're ordained and there's an accreditation process and you're not just hiring some guy who says, I want to help people. Uh, there is a seriousness to it, right? So your hospital chaplains or your police chaplains, they're not just people. Uh, they go through a accreditation. They're usually uh, ordained, so they've gone through um, if, you know a ordination council somewhere, usually through some denomination or the national you know council of evangelicals or something like that. They've gone through the same process that a pastor would go through. Those are the people that are getting hired in these businesses, and you know there are some others. You can get ordained online, I guess you know for twenty bucks, and you're ordained in twenty minutes uh, to whatever faith you want to say, but. That's not typically who's getting hired. Typically, it's Christian ministers um, who are going into these companies and serving families and employees. And not every employee takes them up on it, but this is something that seems to be growing. And, And from a corporate standpoint, it's interesting because you probably don't do it unless you see it as profitable, right? You don't go hire an employee and uh, spend whatever that person costs. You know, presumably they're full time, maybe they're part time, but you're paying a lot for an employee. You're not you're probably not going to do that if you don't think you get it back somehow in productivity or in fewer sick days or fewer, you know, you know, better productivity for people. And I think that says something about who we are as human beings, that we need spiritual care, that there is something true about human beings and our need to not just be organisms, but that we need spiritual care. And of course, we believe that that comes from the living God that this is what Jesus provides is spiritual care. And by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but if you if your company does not have or even if your company does have a chaplain that's hired by your company. Uh your company does have a chaplain if you're a Christian and it's you. I don't know if you think of it that way, but that's you. You're that person and probably there are other chaplains who are there too because if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And if you're a Christian, your purpose in that company is not simply to do a good job as unto the Lord. That is part of your purpose. But the reason even to do a good job is not the profitability, although that's something that you want to take care of if you're working. I don't think that's, uh, I think that's obvious. But the purpose ultimately is how you relate to the people that you interact with. The purpose is, you know, are you available for people? Should they call you? Who They don't go to church, but they know you go to church somewhere and their dad rolls out of bed and hits his head, and they don't know what to do, or they've got some tragedy happening. 
uh, can they call you? I'll bet they think about calling you if they know that you love Jesus, if they think that your life reflects that. I think that the Spirit of God is doing that with you. Maybe you don't realize that, but you're actually in a place on purpose where God has providentially placed there, placed you there in that place so that you can be a representative of Christ. And sometimes that's in doing the hard stuff of care. Other times it's just that you pray, that you pray for the people that you work with. They may not even know that you're praying for them. You, know, you might be the kind of person who always says, oh, I'm praying for you, and they don't know how to take that. But usually people will receive that well. But maybe you don't tell them, but you're just praying. Do you pray for the people you work for? Do you invest in them? Do you care? Uh, that's what we're called to be. So I find it I find it encouraging that our culture in all of our move towards secularism is also quietly moving towards we but we got to hire some spiritual Christian help for our company, for our construction company, for our tech company, for whatever it is, and that there's a value that's being seen in that. And I hope that it translates into there's value in Christ, that it translates into we are called to something much greater than whatever our job is producing. We are called to something that is much greater than just the paycheck that we need so that we can pay the bills and so that we can somehow survive here in California, and that there is something much greater to human life. That's It's lost so much, but quietly, I think that we are seeing people come to terms with that, maybe in some new ways. And I think God is always working in every society. Maybe it's happening in a big way. Anyway, uh, I think that's a great deal. I think that's a good thing good deal. And I hope that that maybe it helps you to think of yourself as a chaplain wherever God has planted you. Maybe it's not a workplace. Maybe it's in school. Maybe you live in the dorms uh, at uh, your college. Maybe you are um, somebody who lives in an apartment complex and you see the same people at the mailbox all the time or in the carport. Maybe you're somebody who um, just is the type of person who likes to sit outside in your front yard so you get to know the neighbor's you know what? God's calling you to be a chaplain to the people that he's placed in your relational world. And the first thing you do is pray for them and be ready to be used by God in their life when that time comes up. Everybody, this is the Pastor Scott Show. We're on every day from 3 to 5. Get the podcast at kkla.com or wherever you get your podcast. Look for the Pastor Scott Show. I am Pastor Scott. I'll see you tomorrow, 3 to 5. God bless. Have a good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.